Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the program. One of the key factors for Brian Koberger's defense team is going to be challenging all of the evidence that's been compiled against him. And that evidence includes the upcoming testimony that we're bound to get at the trial from Dylan Mortensen. Well, Brian Koberger's team is going to look to absolutely destroy that testimony. The whole idea is going to be to punch holes in it. They're going to ask all the same questions that people have been asking since these murders occurred. And namely, that starts and ends with, why wasn't 911 called right after this happened? And unfortunately, folks, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know. All I could do is speculate like everybody else. But one thing that I'm relatively sure of is that the prosecution has an answer for us. The only thing is, we're not going to hear that answer until we get to trial because it's part of their overall case against Brian Koberger. So I think that when all is said and done, and we get a better idea and more context about what went down in the direct aftermath of the murders, and what took so long for the 911 call to be made, I think things are going to be a lot more clear. But again, that's just my speculation. The truth is, we just don't know yet. One thing I do know is that the defense is going to do everything in their power to punch holes in what Dylan Mortensen is going to say. And remember, she didn't get a full look of Brian Koberger. Allegedly, he was wearing a mask, right? So it's just the bushy eyebrows, the athletic build, and then all of the other evidence that came in the wake of that. And for me, remember, it's not just one bit of evidence. It's not just the DNA. It's not just the pings on the cell phone tower. It's not just the knife sheath. It's all of it in its totality. And when you look at all of the evidence in its totality and you see the bundle that they're bringing, it's very difficult to look at that, at least in my opinion, and say, you know what? Koberger has a legitimate out here. There's some holes in what the prosecution's telling us. Because from where I'm sitting, that does not seem to be the case. Sure, there's some questions that have not been answered. But holes? I don't see them. Today's article is from the New York Post and the headline. Brian Koberger's defense is going to jump on surviving Idaho roommate Dylan Mortensen at the trial. And there's no doubt that that's what they're going to do. That's their job. And that also, by the way, helped trigger the grand jury indictment against Brian Koberger. Remember, the preliminary hearings were coming up and we had Brian Koberger's team talking about subpoenas for Dylan Mortensen, Bethany Funk, and the rest of it? Well, the prosecution circumvented all of that and that's why they went to the grand jury to get that indictment instead. They didn't want to show their hand. And if they could avoid showing their hand at a prelim hearing, so much the better. But I think a lot of that was initiated by a Koberger's team talking about them wanting to subpoena Bethany Funk and Dylan Mortensen. This article was authored by Alyssa Guzman. The University of Idaho student who survived the grisly quadruple homicide that captured the nation's attention last year should prepare to be jumped on by suspect Brian Koberger's defense when she testifies, 
a trial expert told the Post. There's no doubt that she's being prepared. What do you think? William Thompson and the rest of the team up in Idaho isn't preparing Bethany? What, you don't think Dylan has talked to her own lawyer and she's not being prepared for what's coming? She most certainly is. However, you can only do so much prep work before you're under live fire. And in the words of the great philosopher, Iron Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. So no matter if she is doing that prep work, if she's being prepared by the prosecutors, by her own attorneys, it's going to be a whole different ballgame when it's for real, right? It always is. But the good news for Dylan is all she has to do is get up there and tell the truth because there's no amount of cross-examination that's going to change the facts. Dylan Mortensen survived the November 13th, 2022 massacre that left her friends Madison Mogan, Kaylee Gonsalves, Zana Kernodal, and Zana Kernodal's boyfriend, Ethan Chapin, dead. She came face-to-face with the killer just moments after the bloody slaughter, telling authorities she saw a figure clad in black clothing and a mask, walking towards the home's back exit just after 4 a.m., according to a police report. Another roommate, Bethany Funk, also survived the horror. But Court TV executive producer Ted Rollins told The Post he believes Mortensen's testimony will be central to the trial, which kicks off later this month. No, not kicking off later this month. In fact, we have no idea when this trial is going to kick off. I think Dylan is going to be big because the defense is going to jump on her. Rollins, 57, said Friday. If she was so scared and she locked her door and stayed in the room and she was frozen like she told investigators, then why didn't someone call 911 for 12 hours? She'll be pivotal. And I agree, that's going to be a focus for the defense. Wouldn't you focus on that if you were a defense attorney? Why the hell didn't someone call 911? What the hell's going on over there? My client didn't do this. The only problem with that sort of argument is the facts and the evidence are telling us that your client did. And just to reiterate, they're not going solely off of what Dylan or Bethany has to tell them. They're using all of the evidence in its totality. Her testimony is a little bit of seasoning on top of the steak, if you will. But there are zero doubts that there's legitimate questions about the 911 call and why nobody called 911 for 12 hours. And as we talked about in the previous episode, I think that's going to come out at trial. Unfortunately, as of right now, we just don't have those answers. Rowlands, who produced a court TV documentary on Koberger, airing Sunday, said at the end of the day, her story will be riveting and he believes she'll sway the jury to her side. I agree with that. It'll be riveting. The jury's definitely going to be on her side, if you will, after they hear the evidence and especially after they start seeing some of these slideshows that are being put together by the prosecution. Her story is right out of a horror movie, he said. What she went through was off the charts traumatic. She's a kid that has been put in a horrible position, and I think that her story is going to help the prosecution a lot. I think it's going to add a little bit, but I don't know if I'm on board with her testimony being pivotal. I think it's going to be important to establish that Koberger could have been in that house, considering the description, the bushy eyebrows, and the rest of it. But remember, she didn't see him. She just saw somebody who looked like him and who had bushy eyebrows. So his defense team is definitely going to utilize that as part of their strategy. As for Funk, who is fighting a subpoena that would force her to testify, 
Rollins isn't sure her story would have the same impact. Both girls were home when Kohlberger allegedly tore through the off-campus home, knifing the four others in their beds. Prosecutors are seeking the death penalty. And just to fix the article here once again, they weren't in their beds. Originally, that was the story we were told, that they were killed while they were sleeping, but we now know that that wasn't the case. Especially after we found out where some of the bodies were found, and that Zana was awake for sure. Ethan woke up. We know that Madison and Kaylee were killed in bed, but besides that, we know that, unfortunately, some of these kids were awake when this all went down. The two girls were allegedly texting each other while the murders were happening, received an onslaught of hatred online, especially Mortensen, after it was revealed no one called 911 for several hours after the quadruple murders happened. And that's going to be a huge point of contention. There is zero doubt that the defense is going to make a giant issue of the 911 call. For me, though, I look at it like I always say, as a juror. Okay, well, the 911 call, that is a little weird, but how did these murders happen? Somebody killed these kids. Who was it? And if the police are showing me all of this evidence as a juror, well, you better believe I'm going to take notice. They have to have survivor's guilt, Rowland said. These two were so close, theoretically, to dying, and they survived. Many have speculated that the 28-year-old criminology student's defense will also pull out all the stops to remind the jury that the home was known to be a party home, explaining why his DNA was found there. Again, you can try that until the cows come home. And it sounds all fine and well, and it sounds damning when you talk about it on the internet, but it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Sure, people were at the house, but it's about the knife sheath. Why was Brian Kohlberger's DNA on that knife sheath? How did it get into the bed with two murdered girls? And I haven't even started talking about all the other digital evidence that helps bind it all together. So the party house stuff makes for a cool story, but does it hold up under scrutiny? In my opinion, it does not. I think that the fact that he was in that area 12 times over the five months prior to the murders, I would argue that he had been in that house before and that he had gone into those girls' rooms before, Rowland said. Criminal defense attorney Jack Rice said in Jack Rowland's documentary that he too believes the defense could take this angle. And I've said that from the beginning. They're going to try and utilize that for sure. They're going to say, look, people have been in this house and any number of them could be the killer. But the big problem with all of that is there's no evidence of any of that. However, there's a ton of evidence, we're talking Mount Everest High, that Brian Koberger is the one who did it. And look, like I always say, I leave enough headroom for shit to go south. If somebody can provide some evidence that shows that Brian Koberger's DNA isn't on that knife sheath, or give us a legitimate excuse for why that knife sheath would be in that bedroom under murdered girls, then I'll listen. But up until now, I haven't heard one bit of competent argument coming from that direction. One of the most important parts of this case is the DNA. And what we know is that this is a party house, Rice said in a clip exclusively obtained by The Post. We know that there are hundreds of kids in this house. It could have included him. And the thing is, if he was in the house, are you suggesting that these four know everybody who's been in there? I doubt that. All of a sudden, you might have a completely different trial. Not really. 
How are you explaining the DNA? See, that's the thing. You can say all these kids are there and this, that, the other thing. And if Brian Koberger's DNA was just found on a wall or a plate down in the kitchen, then I'd say, look, they don't have enough here. This dude's going to get off. But that's not the case. There's no other DNA on the knife sheath. There's no unknown male DNA on that knife sheath besides one pattern. And that DNA pattern was traced directly to Brian Koberger. So until they can explain that, all this other stuff, background noise. Kohlberger's defense team has also alleged that the Pennsylvania native has an alibi, but has yet to reveal exactly what it is. He has no alibi. If he had one, we'd know about it. His attorney, Ann Taylor, said over the summer, the alibi will more than likely be revealed during witness cross-examination. Oh, okay, sure, Ann Taylor, we're buying that. Folks, look, I highly doubt that Brian Kohlberger is going to have a tangible alibi. If he did, we know about it already. And as far as jumping on Dylan Mortensen, as far as testimony, that's expected. That's what defense attorneys do. Is it going to be successful? Well, I have my doubts. Either way, we'll be here, folks, every step of the way as the state of Idaho continues to try to prove their case against Brian Kohlberger. All of the information that goes with this episode can be found in the description box.